Welcome to Sister Conversations with Ayana Blake, a healthy and safe space for women to collect inspirational tools, tips, and stories to become their best selves. Expect unfiltered truths and empowering strategies, along with compelling interviews and group discussions to become a more effective woman. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now, let's jump into our daily dose of practical sister conversations. Hi, everyone. I am Ayana Blake, and this is Sister Conversations. In this episode, the Sister Squad let it roll once more. Have you ever really took a good look at a snowball when it just starts rolling down the hill? I know it's spring, but take the journey with me. The snowball, it starts off small and rolls and gets bigger and rolls and gets bigger and gets bigger and bigger. That's what happens when the sister squad gets together. The conversations, they just roll. Yeah, so today's episode is a good one, I'd say. Why? Because it's unapologetic, it's honest, it's genuine, it's sister conversations. So ladies, Pull up a chair, grab your coffee, maybe even a glass of wine, and let's have sister conversations together. Ladies, we are here with the sister squad. Hey, ladies. Hey. Hey. Good to see you all. How's it going? Good to see you too, beautiful. Thank you. How's it going? It's going. It's going. It's going good. It's it's moving right along for me. Well, we, we lost a giant today, DMX. How y'all feeling about that? So sad. The so culture, sad. I think the culture is hurting today. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's like and we kind of saw it coming, maybe, but for to hear the words, I think it was still shocking. Very. And I think you never really want to deal with the reality of death. It's just a painful, painful thing to go through, whether you know the person personally or not. And I think if you love hip hop and you appreciate real music meaning, you know, real music and hip hop and artistry, you can't help but to feel, you know, we've watched him struggle. We've watched yeah. him pray through all of his struggles, but mm-hmm. to actually lose him, it's, it's, it's really sad. He struggled for a long time. He did, but he had gotten clean. Like when he did the verses, he looked healthy. He was even fat a little bit. And I think obviously for us, it's Uh, We know it's a constant battle, but it kind of gave us like a false sense of hope, right? You're like, oh, he looks good. He must be doing better. So then to even hear that he was in a hospital was like, whoa, we just saw him not too long ago and we thought everything was cool. Right. Michelle, you brought up a good point about um, mental health and musicians. I mean, I think that, Mm -hmm. Ayana, you probably know this too. Like musicians have a unique thing that we do where every single time we open our mouth not only do we open our mouth but we open ourselves up and everybody has an opinion everybody Mm -hmm. on this zoom right now and everybody listening to this if you hear somebody sing you're like oh I like that or oh I don't like that or oh it could have been this it could have been that and you're not Mm -hmm. qualified as an expert to talk about any of this but you definitely have an opinion and don't and and always express that opinion to everybody has one right and so I think that 
the goal for singers, and this is this is what it is, and for any performing artist, is to always be perfect. And you're only as good as your last performance. And somebody like DMX, who may have been vulnerable anyway, or like Whitney Houston, who was vulnerable anyway, and they have this constant pressure for perfection on them. They aren't seen as people, they are seen as objects. And they are literally, if you look at their contracts, they're called the talent. They're not mm -hmm. even a person. Mm -hmm. They are a thing that is constantly paraded around and nobody is checking on them. Who is checking on the talent? Who is making sure that they are okay? after the performance and they have gotten a bad review or they have gotten a good review or they have gotten mixed reviews, who's checking to see how they feel about all of that? Who is making sure that they are protecting them from all of the opinions, all of the noise and just letting them be artists? Mm -hmm. And they may not be protected. And so then they go to other things to try to cope because it is so isolating, mm -hmm. so lonely. It is a very lonely career in spite of having a whole bunch of people around you. It's very lonely. It's so much pressure and it's constant. And so I really sympathize and empathize with him, with DMX, because he was probably using this as a coping mechanism because of other things that were going on in his life. And so I hope that people are not just looking at this like, you know, this is just another Black man who succumbed to drugs. He was an extremely talented artist mm -hmm. and he was obviously struggling. And I think as an artist myself, that he, some of the things that we go through as artists caused his struggle. He had some childhood trauma in there. Mm -hmm. So I got slapped with some childhood trauma this week. It was really dramatic and stupid. Um, and so that was one of the things that I thought about for him mm -hmm. is just in listening to his interviews and his stories is there was so much childhood trauma he's from the streets. Nobody's just offering him therapy. Um, a lot of times you grow up saying, oh, no, our business is our business. So we aren't talking about it. So you continue to find things to numb the pain, to numb the hurt, and you don't deal with the trauma. And it manifests in a variety of ways. And mm -hmm. the crazy thing is he had so much trauma that he experienced, but he was such an incredible messenger. I have never, ever been moved by a rapper praying like you can be with DMX. And every single time it was something mm -hmm. different, but you felt it and it was heartfelt. Absolutely. I agree. I think that um, to piggyback off what you said, Michelle, as performers, it's not only just the pressure of the audience. It's also the pressure within yourself as a creative mm -hmm. Because in order to go to that creative place, you have to be vulnerable. And extremely. so extremely vulnerable. And so when you as a creative go to that creative place, that vulnerable place, you're exposed to so much. Everything. And in order to be vulnerable in a place to create, you have to open yourself up to your wounds. You have mm -hmm. to open yourself up to your story. You have to share your story. And him being extremely transparent, that's a part of his vulnerability. So when he was in his vulnerability, again, that's when you're dealing with, okay, who's going to provide this mental health yes. uh, therapy? You know, who's going to be that, that sounding board for this brother who needs 
some assistance because clearly he needed it, but he's not the only one. I mean, there's so many people that are creatives that need therapy, don't know that they need therapy. They also need protection. Mm-hmm. People, they, they need, like you talking about that, that fence, they need protection. They need people around them who, number one, are going to keep it real, trusted opinions that they can have. And they also need people around them to be swatting off all of the foolishness that is constantly coming their way. And to, to just have that hedge around them so that they are being guarded and, and blocked from all of the noise that is constantly coming in. Talking about vulnerability, I feel like getting up and singing in front of an audience of people feels like walking out on a stage naked and and asking people what they think, literally. And to have to get up and do that time after time after time after time, and then on top of that, have the pressure of, we, you know, I wasn't writing the music that I was singing. So he needs to write the music. He needs to perform the music and then execute every single time perfectly. And then it's business people that care, it's the public that cares. It's just too much pressure. And so I think that maybe maybe we can think of a way to protect our artists, Ayana. I hope so. Listen, I'm starting with me first. How's that? (laughs) I started by quitting. I started by quitting. I said, look, I'm going to go into a whole different profession because I can't deal with this foolishness. Well, I mean, if I'm transparent, I had to do a one-woman show, Lady Mm -hmm. Day. Uh, at Emerson's Bar and Grill. And that is, for those that don't know, that is, um, you know, Billie Holiday's, one of her last performances. And it was documented. And I had to go into isolation for mm, six to eight months to learn the music, to learn the, what, 13 monologues, 15 songs. And I had to get her voice. I mean, it was a regimen. But not only that, in order for me to connect with her as an addict, as an alcoholic, as someone who was looking for love, I had to go into that dark place for myself. And so in order for me to go into my dark side, I had to dig up (laughs) all of those things that we put in the closet, close the door, put boxes and shoes and couch and bed in front of the door so it don't come out. And I had to go and move all of that stuff from in front of the door, pull that stuff out so that when you saw tears, it wasn't Billie Holiday's tears. Those were my tears through Billie Holiday's spirit. So what does that mean? That means every night I'm going out on stage being a vulnerable being. And so how do I come out of Billie Holiday when it's time to go home? Sometimes I wasn't. So I had to start going into therapy to help with that even more because I got to figure out, okay, so I had to pull up stuff about my dad. (laughs) Okay, let's be real. I had to pull up stuff about molestation. Let's be real to even shed tears. So when it's time to go home and get in the bed, it's like, okay, I'm going to bed as Ayana and as Billie Holiday. So I had to go to therapy to figure out how I got to those dark places and how I could come out every single night. Mm. And so, but I knew that for myself that I had to do that. How many people don't know that they need to do that as an artist, as a creative, as a human being, you know, 
I and need then therapy. They turn to self medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what so many do because they're no. numbing but pain. Hollywood machine is hard. Like on top of your talents, you are a walking dollar sign. These people Absolutely. want you to always be on, despite what you're going through. Like they don't care. Always now, be on. No pressure on top of what you already have going on. And, you know, working for BET for so many years, I saw that. Like, I saw Mm -hmm. the artists um, preparing for their shows, right? I would see them, um, the demands that they had for certain things, the way that they would perform, how they would act afterwards. And it's, and of course, you all know as artists, it's not easy, right? But Mm -hmm. it just always makes you think um, about really having empathy because you just don't know what somebody's going through like I saw the show I think I've probably seen almost every show that Ayana has done with the exception of maybe one or two and I I love you I love you thank you I love you too (laughs) but I but I bring that up to say I saw her play Billie Holiday and I was so amazed because I just in my head I'm always thinking how in the hell do you do this? Like, it's just amazing to me. It's admirable. Like I just sit in awe every time. You would think that I've never seen Ayana perform because every time she performs, she gives you something different and you just sit there like, wow. Come on, artist. (laughs) Yes, artist. Give her her flowers (laughs) while she can see. I appreciate that. Amazing. Um, Thank you. I'm ready to see the next show. The theaters have to open up. We don't know what happens when she walks off of those stages after Mm -hmm. all of those performances. And she just gave us a little bit of what that's like here, you know, during our conversation. But we don't know that. We just see the superstar Ayana, right? The one that's like, oh, she's so good. Yes. The one that slays every role in every Mm -hmm. song, right? And so it it just, again, brings you back to always having, you know, empathy and just being considerate. And I've had to learn that over the years because I haven't always gotten that right. But you just don't know what people are going through. And it may not be directed towards you. It may be strictly all about them, but you should always have that listening ear, right? And you should always be the person that they can call, pop up on, or just vent to. And that's important mm-hmm. as sisters, right? Mm-hmm. As friends, as girlfriends friends as a sister circle so all of that comes back full circle and I just I have to say you artists I commend you because I would not be able to do it this has just inspired me (laughs) now this this has just inspired me actually to write something about this and I'm gonna I'm gonna write it at this some point next week and I want to just write a very brief article about this DMX's death and I hope people continue to portray him in a positive light and have empathy Mm -hmm. for him as an artist because I think that people just have no understanding of what it's like to be in that kind of spotlight so hold me accountable I'm going to write about five to seven hundred words next week no I was just going to say and then I googled him and I read that he has 15 children that's a whole different subject now. That's a let me let me go real refill my cup. <laughs> Fifteen. Listen, he has how many, like how four many mamas with his wife alone. Mm-hmm. He has like four or five with his wife. He had a fiance uh, when he died. Um, there's lots of one-offs up in between there. It's a lot. His That's mother so still children. living. That well, is objectively too many kids. 
Well, let's just, well, there is a young lady that I was told by my cousin, Marcus, who knows everything, that he told me the young lady that plays on power was DMX's daughter. Uh, the court says that's not true, Marcus, because I actually looked it up and she's the goddaughter. So I bring this up because I wonder, just wondering, if those 15 children might not all be biological, maybe some of the God kids are sprinkled in there, maybe, perhaps. Well, well, let me, as the attorney on the line, let me say <laughs> that there are records oh. uh, of who is the child and who is not his child. I also hope that he had a will that was executed properly. I hope he has an executor for his estate. And we do not need any of these issues to be dragged out in court for the next 25 years with 15 kids. Amen. Oh, let me, let me 15 put, alleged kids. If we believe he has 15, <laughs> right, then he probably might have more and they'll all come out of the woodwork because what happened when someone, someone dies. They can come so out of whatever woodwork they, got, they got. He needs a good it. legal team. For years, who was it? <laughs> Was it James Brown that had all these kids that came out? It took forever for them to bury him. He was like chilling for a long time mm. because all these people came out and was like, oh, he's my dad. And they're like, oh, well, we never heard of you. Like, it's a lot to sort out. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of which, so my husband and I just had a conversation about a week ago. Um, do you all have wills? I'm working on mine, which is just embarrassing to say that I don't have it. But um, no. no, not yet. It's in progress. I, I don't have an official one. I have some stuff documented. I made sure my husband's aware that I like to be cremated and like my mother and my sister know that. But um, I need to, honestly, I need to create a trust and do it that mm -hmm. way because we mm -hmm. have two kids and we own two homes and I don't want the state all up in the mix trying to decide how things are going to go and it's, it's just complicated. So I need to not be like the Aretha's and these other people who have way more on the line that do not have a will. Yeah, I ordered this book called, um, well, one has some profanity on it. I can't remember the exact word, but I ordered two actually. And one it's, I'm dead, now what? And you can get it right off of Amazon and it's so detailed. Like you can write out every single thing that you wish to see once you pass all of your information, and of course you can secure it, put it in a safe, but it just makes things so much easier. And one of my girlfriends, when her mother passed, her cousin gifted her that book just so that when, she, you know, if something were to happen to her, because her mother died suddenly, um, and it was so unexpected within weeks, as a matter of fact. And they just weren't prepared because how can you prepare for that? Because you didn't know and it happened fast. But this book, just look it up on Amazon. I'm dead. Now what? Um, and it just breaks it all the way down. Is it a fill in a blank kind of book? Yes, exactly. But it's so deep. It's a fill in the blank, but it's so it, okay. it has everything oh, okay. that you can imagine in this one book that even things that you probably would never think of. And of course, I ordered it. I'm order that. have to even write one letter in the book. And, it, and it's about a month old. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to order this book and write my stuff. I'm not playing around. Huh? It's collecting dust. But I'll do better. I'll try again next week. But you should look it up. So one thing I'll mention, so the reason mine is in progress, some of us who have nine to fives, our employers offer as a benefit 
some of this financial planning and in the financial planning, it also includes what to do or what, what you want to happen with your money if you pass away. So that is something that is included as a benefit for me at work. So I have someone who I'm working with right now who can put together an estate for me and make sure that my daughters have what, what I want them to have. Um, and so check out your benefits at work because sometimes writing your will is included in your human resources package. Oh, nice. Let me go back. I will. I think our in, uh, employee assistance program offers some of mm-hmm. those services, which are, which are free. So mm-hmm. I need to to do that. My mother has written her obituary. She has sent it to my sister and I. She has her program. She know what songs what she oh, wants yes. song and who to see it. Like I was like, well, Claudette, are you going somewhere? And she's like, she's like, no, no but I just want and you to be that have it. Now I'm gonna tell y'all right now, great if great is thy faithfulness is not part of the program. I'm gonna be very upset from the grave. <laughs> great is thy faithfulness. It Same. must be Same. on the program. It Ooh. must be. Ayana, I'm okay. holding you accountable. I'll, I'll make sure it happens. <laughs> I'll make sure it happens. I, I may not sing it, but somebody, I'll make sure. Yes. I will hold. key, honey. Get her. Okay. Yeah, gotta do better. I mean, my, my grand, one of my grandmothers, Dorothy, has already had all of her stuff paid up and done for years. Right? Oh, yeah. You can pay for your plots. You yeah, can oh, play for your cremation, like- whatever you want. You can do all of that. My mom, Angie, would not have to do anything but probably grieve and just celebrate her life because she has Mm -hmm. done everything. And it makes it so much easier because my mom, Angie, is the only child, right? Mm -hmm. So my mother didn't want her to have to deal with, right? And so, and Ayana, you are the only child. I am. I am. So Mm -hmm. those are things you want to think about because what she did not want to do is to burden mom, Angie, with, all of the, you know, funeral expenses and planning when she's going to be grieving. She knew that. So all of that stuff. Mm. Is- and to keep yeah, the I'm saints from that. fighting over fur coats and hats Listen. and shoes and Listen. grass and bricks <laughs> and shrubbery. Listen. <laughs> somebody got time. A spoon, a spoon, okay. a, fork, a knife, Nothing. a lamp Nothing. that don't nobody want. Don't yes. nobody want. And it don't work. Wake me up every day. You can have the drama. But going back to the performer point, and Ayana, I know you appreciate this. We can have any bad singing at our Ooh, services. Say it. Come say on it. now. I would I rather have silence than bad. I think I texted you this. I would rather have silence. Just come in, don't say nothing, and leave before you have somebody get up that can't sing. Especially at an artist. No, like yeah, you better not play. Don't play me like that. I want a concert. I want a boys choir. I want a concert, and then I want a party. I don't even necessarily need to have all of the other stuff. I just want a concert with the lineup of friends that I know can just come. Of course. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm saying I'm okay, saying Did y'all see Coming to America too? Because that's what the king did. Yes, he, he did. Was like, I want a funeral while I'm still alive. And then and he died like 30 was, seconds after it was yes. over. Party, <laughs> like he had a bunch of great artists mm-hmm. and everything. And it truly was a celebration of life. So that's what was happening. I fell asleep on it twice. 
Me too. Yeah, oh, it was too. a little rough. It was a little oh, rough. I thought it was but you gotta watch it again. You gotta watch it again. Yeah, I have to watch it when it's light outside. Okay, so I gotta make me feel better because I thought it was just me. But what I will say about that wanting to have a concert, how befitting that that's tough. Like, and you know what I saw when you said that? I saw when the whole concert went down for Will, may God rest his soul, um, bless Will. When you all performed for his fundraiser at Duke Ellington, he had everybody that was everybody singing, not singing, singing. That's Ayana. Shout out to William Randolph. Duke Ellington School of the Arts class of 1996. We love you, William. Yes, we love you. All right. So I have another topic. Um, What about code switching? Now, this was a request. And so code switching, do you all know what code switching is? Code switching is the practice of alternating between two or more languages or varieties of language in conversation. So do you code switch in your work environment? And when do you no longer have to switch? I always have. Didn't know that that was called code switching. Always have done that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's something Always. that we grow up doing. Yeah. We know we have to do it. Yeah. But what I don't like is when, mm-hmm. now that I know that code switching is what I've been doing. <laughs> um, what I don't <laughs> like is when we as a people say, and I know y'all heard this and y'all probably know what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. I do. You sound like a, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Oh, why you sound like, mm-hmm. no, it's called mm-hmm. um, switching up and adapting to the environment that you're in, boo-boo? What you call it my work voice. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've heard people call it w- more than that, but you yeah. are getting at. Yeah. I have an administrative background. Like I started out in high school as a receptionist. So when you call, you definitely got, um, hi, how are you? Mimi speaking. How can I help you? And then I realized it's one of my girlfriends and it's, oh girl, what's up? What's going on? You know, like as a receptionist, you're the face of the company. So you want to be polished and all of those things, but sometimes it can be exhausting to always be on. Um, Not to say that I don't speak, you know, regular English when I'm not, but it can be exhausting sometimes to have to do what we feel like is necessary to appease and appear a certain way for other people. I agree. But what I will say is I would rather on any given day have a conversation with a professional or to hear a professional tone, especially if you're in a customer service realm, receptionist realm, Mm -hmm. administrative, any of those things. I would rather be able to hear clear and concise communication versus, well, I won't, I won't even, but yeah, you, you get one. (laughs) You weren't going to do the demo. You go ahead and do the demo, girl. So my question is, do you believe that our Caucasian and women of other cultures and ethnicities, do you believe they code switch? I think so. I think so. Some of them do. I believe uh, Latinas, for sure, code switch. I don't think white people code switch. I think they they do, though. So do you? Really? Yes. Yeah. So I have some good, good, good girlfriends that are white. And they are, they, they will talk to me like they are sailors, honey. <laughs> they are not going to get on any sort of call 
They're cleaning it up. They're putting their INGs on and their S's at the end of words too, that if we're just having a regular conversation is are not on there. And I also think that like you were talking about Latina women, Asian women, I think with some, not all, but if you speak more than one language, I think they jump through a bunch of hoops to try not to have an accent. I mean, we jump through hoops to try not to have an accent. I remember this is just so specific, but S-T-R, strawberry, instead of strawberry. Do you say strawberry or strawberry? S-T-R or Uh S-H-T-R? This is super- Strawberry. Strawberry. Straw with an S-H, right? Strawberry. And so I'm in English diction class at University of Maryland as part of my vocal music performance degree. And I mean, professor riding me up one side and down the other because I say strawberry instead of strawberry. And I'm like, okay, it's a strawberry. And he made you do the IPA for it too, didn't he? The IPA. And she's saying no H nowhere up in this, ma'am. But like little things like that. Yeah. And and, and that's just one example. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that because I had to take a voice and diction class for unbelievably mass media arts at Clark Atlanta University. And I struggle. She, that you just that said struggle. Like, you just said struggle instead struggle. of struggle. Right, struggle. <laughs> struggle. <laughs> Wait, which one is it? I say it's, struggled. No, it's no, it's no sh. You heard that sh on there? You is said struggle. Mm-hmm. Struggled mm-hmm. instead of struggle. 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 Struggle with the age. But listen, the teacher would ride me so hard, just like you're saying. I had the same experience at Clark, and she would say, "Are you studying the diction um sheets that I'm giving you?" And I'm like, "Um, yeah, I I thought I was." But every time she would ask me to speak or to say words in front of the class. They would be wrong. And then people you say, Tori, you speak so well. Well, tell that to the voice and diction teacher, because excuse my language, she's ready to fail me. <laughs> and you were still well spoken. Yeah. And we always know that the well-spoken insult, we know that insult. No, no, no. But yeah. she was, she looked like me. But she was like, listen, you don't got it. You oh. got to get it. But mm. you don't got it. And by the end, I think I had done much better to the point where she was happy. You sound great right now. Impressed. She wasn't mm-hmm. impressed at all with me. Now, Ayana would have passed that thing with flying colors. But with me, <laughs> she was like, let me just get this girl about it. You think I and would I have? Like C's, but I was like, listen, if she just gives me a C and gets me about it here, I don't ever want to see this lady again. So Ayana, on the code switching, though, I think that it's to me, it's a difference between like a casual outfit and a dressy outfit. Right. So when I am speaking Mm -hmm. to people at work, I have on my dress coat, my dress clothes. I am making sure that my sentences are complete, that I have my I's dotted and T's crossed and I'm speaking in a more formal way. So it may not necessarily be code switching. It's just me being more formal because these are professional relationships. But if I'm talking to y'all, I'm going to throw out the y'alls. You might get a cuss word every now and then or very often. And it's just a different level of, you know, I've let my hair down, which my hair ain't Mm -hmm. been down in a month, honey. (laughs) It's a hot disaster. But I've let my hair down in a different way that I just don't let my hair down like that with people at work. So it's definitely a job. It's definitely an identifiable shift in the way that we talk. But Mm -hmm. I just consider it 
formal versus informal. And I can tell you now, as I'm more senior in my career, I feel more comfortable being more informal with people at work. Mm. Me Ten too. years ago, I did not. I had to prove myself to a certain point to make sure they knew I was qualified, to make sure they knew I was diligent, responsive, on time, good writer, this, that, all the other things that they want to know before I could be more informal at work. So now you might get a hey girl from me wow. at work, but you weren't going to get a hey girl from me five years ago at work. I think it's levels to it though. So some of my coworkers that I'm cool with, they get the hey girl, what's up? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a more relaxed conversation, but I think some of it is geographical. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people who have a Southern accent, their code switching is more like speaking without that Southern drawl. Um, When I first moved to this area from New York, so here and now, and for years, I would say strawberry. When I came (laughs) from New York, it was strawberry. Like it was very heavy, very, very like, oh, girl, where you from? You know, why do you speak that way? And it's a conversation that my husband and I have. All the time. Yeah, girl, you got some coffee over there? What you drinking? You know, it's way different. So my my husband is from PG and God knows it irks my spirit sometimes. So he says Maryland. And I said, so the state is not a, ma- a magician. It is Maryland. And he's like, you can't tell somebody how to speak. And, it's, and he says, it's Baltimore. And I'm like, so there's a T there and it's Baltimore. And he's like, well, you can't tell someone how to speak when they come from a place because everybody there speaks like them and I'm like yeah but stop calling your parents parents because that's not my husband is fully college educated he's an engineer (laughs) and all of that but there is so much PG whereas you know when I lived in the Bronx I had a Bronx accent and so sometimes your code switching is different depending on where you are from and how you Mm -hmm. speak because I don't know I guess we all just trying to be even keel on how we sound well I'm from Prince George's and I do not say Merlin I don't Thank say God. Baltimore. Um, I don't say Joe and Shawty and all that <laughs> stuff. I do call my brother Joe sometimes. Um, but maybe I have code switched out of gorgeous Prince George's. But um, and I, I know y'all have had the debates about PG versus Prince George's. So but Mer- Maryland is off limits. We're not saying Maryland. No. So I grew up in Virginia. We came here. So he's like, oh, you went to the white schools. And I'm like, no, I went to very diverse schools. This is not (laughs) the same thing. But I do it to my kids. I do the same thing my mom did to me. I hate it. I was relaxed in using slang when I was on the phone with my friends and she was correcting me like we were in school. And now I've turned into her and I do the same thing to my teenager. And he's like, mom, I know. And I was like, okay, I just need to hear it every once in a while to make sure it's still there. It's very important that our children know how to say ask instead of ax. So continue to correct. (laughs) There's so many words that kill me. Yeah, my (laughs) colleagues um, often joke with me and they say, Tori, you are not from D.C. because you don't say Merlin. I say Maryland. Um, Mm -hmm. I say Baltimore, Mm -hmm. right? And they're like, no, girl, it's Baltimore. And then I think it was so funny. They asked me. No, it's not. No, it was because they asked me to, gosh, I can't remember the word that they asked me. And as soon as I said it, they said, oh, we revoked the DC card, child. We sending you back to Oregon. You are not from DC. But again, I think, I don't know if it's because I've lived other places because I'm DC born and raised, Ward 8, Southwest, okay? And now Southeast (laughs) Middle. But I don't know if it's because I've lived other places, but I've never said Maryland. I've always said Maryland. 
always. But it's funny you say that, Tori, because if I did not know where you were from, I would think you're from the South. And I lived in Georgia, but I'm all mixed. Oh, then that's probably what it is. I lived in Atlanta. I've lived in Oregon. So I've been on the West Coast. I've been in the South and I'm from DC. I'm literally born and raised in Ward 8. And then I got shipped to Virginia, then Oregon. So again, I'm all mixed up. I don't know what I sound like, but I know where I'm from, right? But I also know (laughs) how to use the correct English. Hello. Yeah, and that's the important part. You got the lesson and that's all that matters. That's important. Let's talk Niecy Nash. Did you all see Miss Niecy and uh, Jada on the red red table table talk? No, No, you all didn't see that. Why? You should have gave me homework before the the call tonight. Well, you all have homework. I saw it. Mimi saw it. And well, I mean, it pretty much talked about, um, you know, her surprising the entire world coming out as... Uh, well, she didn't say coming out. She just said falling in love with a woman. And I was so about to sing, I'm coming out. Mm. Well, and, and I got a song line for everything. I'm Diana sorry. Ross said it best. But listen, so what she said was she's she doesn't put a label on it and she doesn't consider herself lesbian. She just considers that she just says that she fell in love with a woman. And so do you think you can fall in love with a woman? Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I just have a, I have a reaction to that, and I and I'm and I apologize. I have not watched the interview, but to me, this is sort of like the "I don't see color" phrase that irritates my entire spirit. If you are married to a woman, then for the sake of our LGBTQ plus sisters and brothers, you need to be flying that flag, and you need to be flying it proudly for them. Don't be out here saying. I, I, but I, I need her to say I'm. I'm. I have now discovered that I am bisexual. I'm a lesbian. So oh. I, I need you to do something because to me that's kind of like you to are not that. really. You, you're kind of stepping away from the identity that is super important to so many mm-hmm. people in this community. Right. It, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. That's just my immediate. Although that's not my preference, I still support whatever your choice is, but you need to pick a side. Like if that is what you like now, then you do need to support that community, period. I agree. I mean, she does support the community just because off the strength of her, even just married to men, she's always had a huge uh, LGBTQ following. So she said she identifies as LGBTQ plus Nisi. So in the, on the red table talk, she said her daughter sent her this video and said, mom, you need to figure out how you identify if you're binary, non-binary. And she said she watched the video and her head was swimming, that she was even more confused than she was before. So what was interesting was this was the first time she had ever been with a woman. And she said she had just given herself permission to feel her feelings. And as her wife joined the table, her wife was like, she made the first move and she was taken aback by it. Like, she was like, are you sure? I guess because, you know, she always knew her to, well, as Nisi said, she was still strictly dickly. Apparently something somewhere um, changed. What she did say was Jada asked her, what was the difference between this relationship and all her others? And she said for the first time in any relationship, she felt like she was seen 100% for who she was. Ooh, and I was like, deep. that wow. was so deep. That's that deep. part 
stuck out to me in such a, a way. Now, she also said in her first marriage, she married him because she needed to be saved. So her mom- That was the pastor. Talking about this a lot. Her mom had been shot, yeah, with a double barrel shotgun right in front of her when she was a child. And then her brother was killed. So she said she married the first husband who was the pastor who made her the first lady because she needed to be saved. That goes back to the childhood trauma we were talking about earlier. Yes. yes. Um, and then a second time she said she just wanted to be with someone, but she was unfulfilled in the marriage. And I was so this just is like, the same. I, so so just to, to uh, keep it all the way real. Look at Ayana's face now. Y'all do remember <laughs> when. Um, Madam Nash was telling us all to get uh, her, her marriage advice was that we needed mm-hmm. to perform certain oral activities every oh, single day, every day in mm. order for our marriages to last. And as we hmm. all can see, that advice was not good advice. Hmm. No. I just wanted to add that to the conversation. <laughs> hmm. It may be good advice, but it ain't the glue. That was for sure. But I, I don't know. I don't so in other words, so in other words, she was giving head every night oh. and still didn't feel seen. Yeah, and well, she was unfulfilled. Well, and unfulfilled. That's your quote for this podcast, honey. <laughs> listen, listen. That's your that's your title banner. <laughs> I mean, you're just trying to figure out. It it obviously wasn't enough. Yeah. So what is enough? It wasn't. So Maybe what is enough? Back every day. Very good. I don't know. What is so enough? what is enough? He needed to do it. Maybe she has always oh. Maybe she has known that she is bisexual, maybe, and that it wasn't, you know, she would, I don't want to say it like that, though, because it doesn't sound right. Because I think that from what I have read and what I have seen, the stereotypes surrounding bisexual people are incorrect, where if someone bisexual, but they fall in love with a man, that doesn't mean that they have always a longing for a woman or something like that. So I don't want to say, well, maybe she was with a man knowing she was bisexual and needed to go be with a woman. It's complicated. And it's actually, frankly, it's her business. But I think that, you know, I I should go watch the Red Table Talk, maybe. So it's a, it's definitely a part of a bigger conversation. So then they asked the question, uh, Jada Willow and Jada's mom, like, would could you ever see yourself being with a woman? So Willow said yes, um, she could. And her Jada's mom said that she has had some curiosity, but it sounded like she was speaking about more like a threesome type of curiosity. But she mm-hmm. could not actually see herself being in a relationship with a woman. And then she was like, but she felt like she was too old now to even potentially explore such a thing. Um, and that I think when she was younger, like, you know, she just felt the way about it. She wasn't all the way in to try it. Interesting conversation. Let me say this. Go back and watch. The saints need to be very careful when the they saints. start. The saints. The saints. <laughs> The saints need to be very careful when they want to start welcoming more into their bedrooms because you're going to be surprised and let down at the same time. And you're not going to be able to go back. Surprised and let down. Surprised wow. and let down. Because I, I don't believe that you can... Welcome somebody. This is me. This is how I feel about it. Somebody else may feel differently and that's fine. But the gospel, according to Ayanna Blake, I believe (laughs) 
that if my husband and I decide to welcome somebody into our bedroom, somebody is going to always get more than the other. Hello. I believe you're never going to be satisfied. And so in that, you may have that 20 minute, 30 minute, or if you're lucky, an hour or more satisfaction. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to be compromised. And then the stories that I've heard, because I've never done it before, that somebody is now has a, a different awareness and has now opened the door to something that you can't close. Hello. Yeah, I'm not with So it. the saints better be careful with that one. Well, Tori Hawkins Plummer is not with it. We can have the, the fantasies behind the bedroom. We can act as if someone else is there if we need be, but someone else is not joining the party. Come on, mannequins. So that's that's the whole... Poly- I think that's a double standard with women. Hmm? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, but I feel like if you're going to, you should kind of explore those things before you decide to get married. But I think they're double standards. Like a lot of times you'll hear a lot of men that say, oh, we can have another woman, but we can't have another man. So there are definitely some double standards mm-hmm. when it comes to that kind of thing. But it all sounds complicated. And then I feel like you fall into the entanglement side of the red table. Come on, entanglement. You don't want to be there either. <laughs> The other thing I don't I I don't like and I I don't mean to try to be the overly politically correct person, but I don't want to have that sort of flavor that Nisi now saying that she fell in love with a woman is sort of being put in the same category as us inviting someone else into our marriage. Like that's a completely different conversation. So the fact that oh for sure Jada Pinkett's mom started talking about, you know, maybe having a threesome at some point in her life really has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the fact that Nisi now fell in love with a woman unexpectedly for the first time in her life. Because I think what people try to do and not us, obviously, but some, you know, the other side who tries to portray non-heterosexual relationships in a negative light. They'll try to make it seem like there's some sort of sexual deviancy and there's this, you know, just all kind of fly by night behavior that doesn't make any sense. And that's not what it is, is people are oriented a certain way. They are attracted to the, the same sex or opposite sex or don't, care about what sex it is or or they don't identify as a certain sex and I think that normalizing some of that is really the purpose of the conversation and not oh well I I I me 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 maybe this maybe that but I do think that she should take a stand and be like I'm standing with my LGBTQ sisters well I think in that it shows the generations of understanding of Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for Duke Ellington because my understanding of it started in high school. We definitely, were there definitely. where everyone was whatever they wanted to be. Yeah. And we were in an environment where that was not, um, you know, thankfully, we didn't have violence against our gay brothers in our class who were dressing up as women. We had, I, I know, I have pictures of at least two or three at the prom they weren't in dresses, but they were as close mm-hmm. to a dress as you possibly could have gotten. And this was in 1994. Mm-hmm. So I am glad that I had that exposure long, long ago, conversations with my brothers and sisters who are not identifying as heterosexual or are mm-hmm. non-binary and everything else. And that's also something that I can pass on to my kids where 
you just you don't need to think about this it's just in black and white figure out who you are and bottom line at the end of the day we are not hating anybody else for who they are amen exactly. i didn't see that, that in school for me but our kids are different so <laughs> there was a kid that came to my son's school um and they had the same name my son's name is Nasir and there was a new Nasir and everybody was kind of like asking him like oh had you seen the new Nasir was the new Nasir is what I like to call a lady boy and so I was just asking him like how did he feel about it he was just like whatever he was like I met him he was cool but I feel like these kids now are it's not shocking for them it's not outside of the norm they're far more accepting than in past generations um I don't think I actually saw a man with any kind of like real feminism until I was outside of high school. Like I was an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. But now I can go to the Metro when I was at work and it it was just as many of them as it was anybody else. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's why our kids have a different perspective because their experience is different. And culturally it's far more accepting now than it was in past years. You know, it's funny that you say that because my, um, my six-year-old at his school, you know, they're very open. They don't celebrate a lot of holidays, but what they do celebrate is gay pride, right? And they had a parade. I know. Interesting, right? School on Very interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Very. And now they have unisex bathrooms, um, the general bathrooms, not the ones in the classrooms, but the, the, the general bathroom. Well, maybe the ones in the classrooms, too. But, you know, that's starting to change citywide. But I bring this up because you to your point. They had a gay parade. Right. And a little boy who is adopted, he's African-American, but he has white parents decided that he wanted to be who he was and who he felt like. So he wore a rainbow tutu and a fitted shirt and sashayed through that hallway for that parade. Come on, baby. Well, everybody wasn't feeling this for Ayana. And Ooh, I'm sure. got on the playground and started to talk mess to him and he proceeded to give them a beat down Uh-oh. that they were not expected. They came for him and he sent them back where they came from, right? And in one of our working groups, the parent, his parent was very concerned because she wants him to be who he is. She wants him to be free and to know that he's supported, but yet he can't come to school and be who he is because other kids, their parents may not have had those conversations with them or may not have prepared them for what the world looks like now, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, He was picked on and ended up being in a fight and getting in trouble, but he was really defending himself and who he believes he is. And at any chance that he gets, he wants to be able to wear, instead of the khaki pants, he wants to wear the khaki skirt. Well, that's unfortunate because to me, if you're giving the outward appearance, as you say, is happening with the bathrooms and Mm -hmm. they're having Mm -hmm. parades and stuff. Certainly somebody should be giving some type of education to go along with it because clearly the children aren't aware of what's going on. So there's a unisex bathroom, but they're not paying attention to it or have an understanding of why. I'm saying the parents don't know that. I mean, the parents have to know. But again, when you said we have a problem, 
high parade. I feel like you have to know you do where know. the but again, position it, is on this. Like that's not. But shocking. let's not act like hate is not taught at home. Oh, for sure it is. You know what I mean? That's what I'm getting. Yeah. At. So you know what type of environment the school has. But you're not talking about being open and being carefree and being respectful of other people's choices at home. It, you're, you're just not. Some of those households on that hill and throughout the city and throughout the DMV are not having the conversations. And unfortunately, it makes it hard for the parent that is raising a son or daughter who happens to relate to the same gender. Right. And so I think we have to do better as a people. We may say that we may not want that for our own child or you may. Right. But we Mm -hmm. have to start teaching from a very young age that people are different, just like with race. You have to teach that people are different and that you have to respect people's boundaries and their decisions. And unfortunately, that's not being taught enough. So we have situations like this where this little boy or lady boy comes to school in his own comfort zone, but then gets teased by those whose parents are not at home, or maybe they are, because mm-hmm. kids can be cruel regardless of what their parents are teaching them. Yeah. We've all seen that, right? Uh-huh. Um, because of peer pressure or showing off or whatever it may be. On or because it. you're different, just because solely you're different. because you're different. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that we have to get to a place where we have to accept that people are different and we have to teach our children mm-hmm. to be respectful of others' decisions, period. And it's okay to be different, but what they're doing is damaging this child. Now you start in his childhood trauma at an early age, his decisions have no bearing on your life. I don't know why people feel like this is such an, a personal uh, attack on you. It changes nothing. What, what they eat don't make you shit. I don't know why people act like you are personally doing this to offend them. Sis, it's not about you. They're not thinking about you. That little boy is being who he feels like he is. He's comfortable with that. And it's sad that somebody is just dimming his light as especially so young. But as an educator, I mm-hmm. there is a level of responsibility from the parental aspect. But as an educator, if you're going to open the door and have a parade and have unisex bathrooms, I blame the school that they have not done enough educating with the peers, the peers to share that The only way that we were able to understand that, as Michelle shared earlier at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, is because we had a clear understanding of what that was amongst our peers. And so if you don't have a clear understanding as children, they need to be taught. And as an educator, if they're not being taught that at home, at least you can do is teach it in the classroom, especially if it's a school wide event. If right. it's a school wide event, it's an educator's it's an educator's responsibility because you've this is a school wide event right now. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of performative advocacy where I am going to fly my flag for Pride Month, but I'm not going to teach you about the actual differences between people in the LGBTQ community. I'm not going to talk to you about binary versus non-binary. I'm not going to talk to you about discrimination that they have faced and actual crimes that have been committed. Black trans women are amongst the most murdered and abused people on the planet. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk to you about that. I'm going to just put a Mm -hmm. little pride flag in my window and pretend that I am an advocate. And so that's what it is, is people not going deeper than what they need to do in order to really take it from, I'm just going to fly a banner to, I'm really going to educate. I'm going to become an ally. I'm going to be an advocate for communities that need advocates and that need people to stand up for them. Because even though we are also a marginalized community ourselves, we are not as marginalized as they are, and we can stand up for them and be allies for them. So some of this too, I mean, it's super complicated also. The the racial dynamic with this young man mm-hmm. or young um, trans individual or young woman, as he may identify later, but he has white parents, which also adds another layer of complication. So Amen. He, when we were talking about therapy earlier at the beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. we, we got to circle back to where we started mm-hmm. tonight. And I think he is going to need people in his life to advocate for him, to help him and to help him work through the feelings and the events that are happening in his life. And he's going to need, I think, some black folks on that slate of advocates for this young person. But parents need to know the difference. Like, are you aware? I mean, it's open as they appear to be with their child, which is amazing. But you have to understand the nuances between you being white and this being a little black boy. But I think, yeah, they brought that up. It's not the same. No, they brought that up as one of the barriers as well. And one of the things that is quite challenging for them because there's already that dynamic that he has to deal with, right? Adopted, and you have white parents, Mm -hmm. and then you identify as... um, a female when you were born a male, right? So yeah. there's several dynamics. And I think the mother is very aware of that. Um, oh, but the good. flip side to all of this is I saw a lot of talk and feedback and 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 even controversial po- controversial posts about JoJo coming out mm. and identifying as being a lesbian. And some parents Wait, felt who's like- JoJo? JoJo Siwa. She is really, the child is like 18 years old with the bus. but her target what? demographic oh is i didn't know that i like had no five idea or seven yeah. yeah she posted on her social media about it and i've never liked her before i knew she liked women <laughs> she's just obnoxious to me yeah but some people oh, they were mad they, they were big mad. mad no they feel like you know although we support the community right we want to be able to have conversations with our children and we don't want anything forced on them. Like we don't want every time our child watches a show. Force it on them. That will make a better generation of the next group of citizens uh, running this country. Force it on all of them. I will force it on them day and night. They need to understand that we are not just this monolith of black, white, gay, straight. Like, come on, force it on all of them. These girls will tell you, they understand what these words mean and we are not discriminating Mm -hmm. against anybody because of who they are and in order to not discriminate against people because of who they are you need to know who they are you need to learn about who they are you need to understand who they are to the best extent that you can so Mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm glad they're mad. They need to stay mad and they need to learn mm-hmm. in the midst of their anger and madness. I agree. Well, but then you just say this. I, um, I am a huge supporter of that community, right? I have one of my closest cousins is a part of that community. Like I've always been an advocate for the community. However, let me be honest, and this is not to be offensive, but to be honest, as a mother, I don't know if I would want media, social media, internet. I don't know if I would want them to be the ones showing my child what that lifestyle looks like. I would rather have that conversation with my children. I don't think I want that forced on my children. I want my child to be whoever it is he's going to be in this life that he has, that God has given him. However, I don't need outside forces or peer pressure, right? Showing him a lifestyle that I haven't even discussed with him yet. Right. And I think that because of that, then you discuss it super young discuss it with as soon as they as soon as they understand how they feel which i think is very very young it's younger than what we like to admit mm. you have those conversations I know my girls. And if I had other children, I would know those children as well. I have relatives who I knew before they knew who they were. And so I I have relatives who, who don't even admit who they are to this day, 40 years later. And I've been knowing, have, have the conversations. If somebody's mama or grandmama 35 years ago would have had the conversation said, baby, I understand how you're feeling. I know who you are. I can see you. I see you be you. This child wouldn't have struggled for all of these years. And so I think that when we see these children, who we, we know we are grown folk. And so that's when you take that person and you gather them up and you say, I, I know you don't have to say nothing. I love the gathering. Be who you are. Gathering. Gather. gather. That's, that's yeah. how you know that gather you're over 40 when you say gather. Gather. That's how you know you're over 40 when you say gather. Gather them. Gather them in a that's warm a hug. You, you are now, Michelle, you are now considered a church mother. When they gather for you, they are real. Oh, she's auntie tonight. She is auntie. Gather that baby in a warm hug and don't make that baby say nothing. You don't have to say anything, but I know. I Mm -hmm. see. I got you. And they don't have to say anything about it. Mm -hmm. Our religion is still not up to par. You still have a lot of people being taught. Um, There was a recent law that came out about you, not you guys, but about people not be a being able to have like this gender conversion kind of treatment for their kids to to pray the gay out of them and stuff like that. But you still have you have the church is a huge part who still perpetuates these old fashioned notions. They're okay with the the choir director being as flamboyant as they want to be so long as the gospel choir is amazing and, but they're not gonna talk about it. Come on in direct sis. You, you ain't you ain't fooling nobody <laughs> up there twisting and shouting and giving us all the good glory and we're here for it but we don't want to talk about it everybody know brother so-and-so is different is he different he's not y'all know who he is he ain't pretending but we don't talk about it because the mass choir is the bomb and we better than the church down the road it's still standard in there still (laughs) we done got all the way here from code switching ayana 
That's what I love about the Sister Squad, because when I tell you, when you name it, let it roll, it just rolls into something else and it rolls into something else and it rolls and keep rolling and keep rolling. And here we are like knee deep into conversations that we don't even know how we got here, but we got here and it's good stuff. Some recurring themes that go on, even as the conversation moves on, we still have tagged it back to childhood trauma and to therapy. Like there's so many things that kind of bind them all together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And we thank you all for joining us today. This is the Sister Squad. Once a month, we come to you live. We let it roll. We talk about it. And so since we now have SisterConversations.com, yay, that was launched yesterday. You have the ability. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You have the ability to write in ask questions and share uh, your perspectives and give the sister squad something to talk about. So check out sisterconversations.com and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sister Conversations with Ayana Blake. Be sure to subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app. And sign up for our email list at ayanablake.com. See you next week. And don't forget, bring a sister with you.